25, the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is speaking to Jews. He's telling the Jews. He's answering questions that were asked of him. Of these questions, one, when will these things be? Uh, two, when, what's the sign of your coming? And three, what, uh, when will the end of the world be? The end of the age? And Jesus addresses those questions. And then he goes beyond that to give us a teaching, a parable. These parables are teachings that are stories that are intended to get us to realize this truth and change our lives. He is talking about the second coming of Christ. This has all been about the second coming of Christ. Let me refresh your memory. The Jews knew nothing of the church until Paul tells us the mystery was revealed. It had been hidden from them. The Old Testament saints knew nothing of the church. It was a mystery that was kept hidden by God until God deemed that it should be revealed to man. When God revealed it to man... It was new. And he is not talking about the church right now. He is primarily talking to Jews. Now, the rapture was not for the Jews. The rapture was for the church. Again, the Old Testament saints didn't know anything about the rapture. They looked forward to the second coming of Christ. The difference in the rapture, in the rapture, we, the church, are called out. He does not come to this earth. In the second coming, he comes to this earth in which we come with him to establish his kingdom, literal kingdom, upon this earth. This parable is another parable that is stressing and emphasizing the need to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, I will have to tell you this, and I say this. As we go through this text, you will notice that nowhere in the text is the bride mentioned. Only the bridegroom and the virgins, which are bridemaids or servants, you will only see those. There's no mention of the bride. Why? Because I just explained to you the church. The church is not in view here. But it stands to reason, we believe that the rapture of the church must happen then the seven-year tribulation period, and after the seven-year tribulation period, then the second coming of Christ. If Jesus is telling the Jews that they should be prepared and be ready for the second coming of Christ, it stands to reason that we, as believers in Jesus Christ in this dispensation, should be ready even more so for the rapture of the church. So there is a a, a spiritual application in this text. You can't just say, well, it was spoken to the Jews, there's nothing in here for me. There is spiritual application. So let's look in Matthew chapter 25 as we work our way through the text, and hopefully I can help you to understand this. Verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. This is a simile. A simile is a comparison of like two like items or items that is a comparison made between those two items using the word as or like. Likened is part of that usage. It's a simile. He is using this to teach us something in comparison to the kingdom of heaven to these ten virgins. Notice what he says. Each of the virgins all have a lamp who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So here we have ten ten virgins. All of them have lamps. Okay? 
Keep that in mind. I'll return to that in a moment. Now look at verse 2. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. So we have a division of those ten. Five are wise and five are foolish. Look at verse 3. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now let me just talk about the virgins just for a moment. These ten virgins here are bridemaids. They're bridemaids. And their responsibility was is that they should be ready to come when the bridegroom comes to get his bride. Now, let me just stop right there because I want to tell you something. There are three parts to a Jewish wedding. And to understand this, you have to understand. Remember, he is talking to Jews, so we have to look at it from the Jewish point of view. There are three parts to the wedding. Part one of the Jewish wedding, the parents would agree on a marriage. How, how many of you would like that? Your, your, your parents pick out your spouse. Some of you say, well, probably might have been better than I did. But anyways, um, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But First of all, the parents agreed. And once they agreed, there was a dowry paid by the parents of the bride. She, they paid a dowry. Then they entered into this what we call a betrothal. To understand betrothal, you're real familiar with that term because around the Christmas story, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. The betrothal was an actual contractual agreement which was as binding as the marriage itself. Essentially, when you entered into a betrothal, you were married. That's why Joseph was going to put Mary away privately, secretly. He was going to give her a writ of divorcement because even though they had never consummated the marriage, they had never been married legally, had not gone through the ceremony, but their betrothal was just as binding as was their marriage. So the second stage uh, in which took place after a year or more, there was a year-long betrothal at least at minimum, and at that point, when the father deemed they, he would take his son, the bridegroom, and they would go to the house of the bride. He would get his bride, and he, in a big procession at midnight, they would come, he would call out to his bride. His bride would come out, and the bridesmaids would light their lamps or their torches they would come out, there would be a big parade in the city and all such as that, and they would go back to the father's house in which they would go there and they would have this wedding and the ceremony which could last for many days. All the friends and the maidens would go there and they would be there. And then the third phase was of the traditional wedding the wedding feast, the marriage would take place. After that, they would have this big feast that would last several days. Uh, hence, remember the wedding at Cana. There, was many, there were many jars of wine. You remember when Jesus turned the water into wine and so on and so forth. It was a big to-do. That, that was the three stages of a Jewish wedding. And what we see here is these bridemaids, there were five who were wise and five who were foolish. The wise had their lamps and they had their oil. The foolish had their lamps, but they procrastinated having 
their oil. We'll get our oil later. We don't need to fool with that right now. Other things are pressing. Other things are pending in our minds that take more attention than that of having oil for our lamps. Now, perhaps to me the most noticeable thing about the foolish virgins is that they seem not to care. Let me, let me, tell you, let me say this. They know that they need the lamps. They know that they need oil for the lamps. They know they have the responsibility, but in their actions, it proves that they just don't care. It's not a priority to them. Everything seemingly was more important than being ready for this wedding. Apparently, their faith was not active. They did not believe that the bridegroom would be coming. This makes them foolish. Do you know in another parable when Jesus taught about the wise and the foolish? In that parable, just as in this parable, both the wise and the foolish knew what to do, but only the wise did what they knew to do. And that is significant because many people know this, but they don't do this. And it's not the same. The scripture tells us, if you will, in verse 5, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Again, they have no oil. The bridegroom delayed, and let me just tell you this. I want to say this. Delay does not mean it's not going to happen. There's a sense in our minds, in our humanity, that when we think that God doesn't act when we want God to act, that maybe He's not going to do it. One preacher has said, God is never late. Perhaps you just arrived early. We forget sometimes that God is sovereign and He is the one who made us. He is the one who is in control of us. He doesn't operate by our time. It just means it will happen on God's time. God can delay all He wants. This all is His. God's not at our beck and call. He's not a genie in which we can rub the vase and demand Him to do something. I've heard men on television commanding in the name of Jesus, and it's almost borderline as if they were commanding Jesus to do something. Oh, friend, the Bible says that at, every, at the very name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. Church, we've got this so messed up. We've made this all about us. I like worship what I like. And if I don't like it, I won't sing it. Well, let me ask you a question. 
Is Jesus still the God of glory in that song? Just as in the song you like? Yes. Well, then you need to get over yourself. This is not ours. This is His. This building is not ours. This is His. Notice in verse 6. And at midnight, a cry was heard. There's no indication that a text was sent out before the cry was heard. There's no indication that anything was sent out to notify the cry was coming. There, this is a, there is a time, I should say, that God has appointed for Jesus Christ to return and no one knows but the Father. The most brilliant minds can't comprehend the glory of God. Can't scratch the surface. They might impress us with their words and their scholarly attempts, but let me tell you something. Only God knows. I'm going to quote a movie in which I found perhaps one of the most practical, most profound pieces of theological advice I've ever heard. How many of you have heard of the movie Rudy? The football, everybody's like, what in the world? Where's he going with this? Rudy's dream is to play at Notre Dame, to get into Notre Dame. He's at Holy Cross, and he is down to the last moment. He may not be able to get in, and he goes and he sees the priest. And he pours his heart out to the priest, and he talks to the priest, and the priest says, Rudy, there's two things I know, and here's this advice. Number one, there is a God, and number two, I'm not him. So simple, yet so profound. God has an appointed time, and He does not have to check with us when He sends the cry, the midnight cry out. He begins, or continues, I should say. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Verse 7, then, it's marking time. Whenever you see then, it's a, a, it's a marking of time. It means something is happening that, that, was, that is caused by what was just happened. And this causing was the, 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 the sound that went out. Now, all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. They're getting ready. Verse 7, and then verse 8, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Here's spiritual principle number one. Your light cannot burn on someone else's oil. Obviously, the foolish virgins, they could have cared less about having oil. They had ample time. To get the oil, to keep the oil, to make sure that everything was in order as it should be. And when the time came, they turned and said, give me some of your oil. It doesn't work that way. 
In the second coming of Christ, you can't say, hey, I went to church, give me some of your oil. No. You cannot burn on someone else's oil. This is true throughout all dispensations in the Bible. Parents cannot provide the oil for their children. Teachers cannot provide the oil to their pupils. Pastors cannot provide the oil to their members. You have to have your own oil. And guess what oil is symbolic of in the Bible? It's the Holy Spirit. You can't borrow the Holy Spirit from someone else. You have to have your own relationship with God through Christ in the Holy Spirit. Your lamp cannot burn on someone else's oil. But I go to church and I read the Bible and I do all those things. Great. There were even men who cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. So the wise virgins tell the foolish virgins, go buy your own oil. And they go to buy their own oil. Look at verse 9. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. This is something you have to do. You have to prepare yourself. Someone else can't prepare you. And this is huge in our day because in our land, it's always someone else's fault. It's always someone else's fault. Well, so-and-so, I haven't been to church in 20 years because so-and-so made me mad. What about your oil? Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That means cause them to stumble. That's what the Bible says. If you love the law, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, and you love the Word of God, don't let people offend you. Don't let them cause you to stumble. I know it's hard, but let me just tell you, don't. When I was a kid, do you remember that song, Give Me Oil? I'm not going to sing it because I'll get the words. I remember that song. We used to sing it. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and I was telling him, we were talking about the songs we learned in church and how rich they were in theology when we were kids, but the church views them as kids' songs, but they were, they were wonderful. They taught us spiritual principles. You cannot burn your light on someone else's oil. So they go out, verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. Notice these words. And the door was shut. We know, and you know the Bible well enough to know, that the Bible says that God shuts doors that no man can open, and He opens doors that no man can close. For example, remember when God told Noah to, and all the animals to get on the ark? He put them on the ark, and the Bible says that God shut the door. Not Noah, 
Not in none of his none of his sons, but God. God shut the door. And here's what I want you to see, spiritual principle number two. You cannot prepare after the fact. You cannot prepare after the fact. When Jesus taught the parable of building on the rock and building on the sand, when the storm came, as it was told, would come, it was too late to prepare. You can't prepare for a hurricane in the middle of a hurricane. And all throughout Scripture, the Bible exhorts now. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Because no one is guaranteed tomorrow. I will buy oil tomorrow. Because, as the old adage says, tomorrow never comes. To something else tomorrow takes precedence. Something else tomorrow we have to do. Something else that we think is very important and we neglect the oil. You cannot prepare after the fact. The foolish virgins were so (coughs) enamored with whatever was going on, they were so distracted with whatever was going on that they did not get oil. But they know that they needed oil because they wanted the, the wisest oil when it was time. You cannot... Listen, you and I are not guaranteed tomorrow. And guys, we spend so much of our time on petty things that mean nothing. We compare our church to other churches. We compare ourselves to other people. That's that's foolishness. Foolishness. You and I need to learn to make sure that my torch is what it should be. Make sure my light is prepared. My light is shining. My light is burning on the oil that I have, not on someone waiting for someone else to give me their oil or waiting or arguing and fussing and fighting and fuming. It's ridiculous. I had a conversation today with a man and we were talking. And he asked me a very vivid question. And I told him this. I said, let me tell you something. I said, you have to understand, and we have to change our perspective. Everyone in this room is dying. We're just dying at different rates. Boy, preacher, you sure are a Christmas message. This is joyful, isn't it? You're dying. I'm dying. We don't know exactly how quickly we're dying. I've said this multiple times. If you are healthy, you're dying at the slowest possible rate. But that won't stop a semi from running over you. And what if? What if? Will you stand before the Lord with an empty lamp? Verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Those who were ready. 
Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Please listen to me. To me, these are the worst words anyone can hear. For the Lord Jesus Christ to say, I do not know you. I don't care who your favorite football team is or whatever you do, whatever your hobby is. Guys, I'm telling you, I am telling you this from a broken heart. None of this stuff matters. None of it matters. I uh, thought about this and thought about this and thought about this and prayed and thought about this and and uh, it seems like more I don't I don't read as well or as much big chunks and so therefore I have to meditate a lot more. And I'll tell you, there's something in meditating the word. There's something about it. I just I can't tell you. And I was thinking of these foolish virgins. And I think of how we put God off for our extracurricular activities. How we put God off for our things. We want to hurry through the worship service because we scheduled something on a Sunday afternoon we got to take care of. And we want to hurry up and get church over with so we f don't feel guilty for not worshiping Him. And, and so, and I'm not here to tell you anything other than you stand before Christ. I'm not going to judge you. But I'm going to tell you, there were ten, and of those ten were five. 50% of this group knew what they needed to do and they didn't do it. And when the door was shut, it was too late. This passage of Scripture impacts me more than just, oh yeah, the second coming of Christ. Yeah, no, I'm thinking about the state that we are in in Christianity the state of lethargy if it gets done it gets done if it doesn't it doesn't we'll get to it tomorrow it's no big deal it's exactly what the foolish version said well you know we've got other pressing things the Lord had a feast in one parable, and he said, go out and invite people to come. And they came back, and he said, are they coming? He said, well, no, one guy has to go look at his property. He bought property without looking at it. Who goes and buys property without looking at it? Uh, you must be extremely wealthy, you know? <laughs> of course, the other one, well, you know, I've, I've got a wife. Okay. What, what? I've taken a wife. Well, what does that have to do with anything? And then Jesus said, go out into the hedges and the highways. Go out and get the lame, the sick, the halt. And compel them to come in. That my house 
may be filled. You can't wait till your deathbed. You can't prepare after the fact. Verse 13, watch therefore for you neither for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the son of man is coming. Watch therefore. You don't know. This is knowledge that is too high for you and it is too high for me. It's too lofty, it's too holy. We don't know. So we got to be ready. We have to be watchful. We have to be watching. We have to be looking for it. What does it mean to watch? Well, first of all, in this context, it means that, number one, that we're saved. I think we need, we need to redeem Bible words. Well, growing up, I used to hear people talk about being saved. Now there's a lot of metaphors and a lot of different things because we're afraid we're offensive. I'm just telling you, you need to be saved. You need to be born again. It means that we're saved, that we have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing it means. The second thing it means is that we are serving Him. We're fine because we've got oil for our lamps. You think, and I think sometimes, that the church needs us. Do you realize that there'll be another day when someone else is in this pulpit and this church will go right on? And someone will be in your Sunday school class, in your Awana class. And we act like that this can't go on without us. <coughs> Let me tell you, you and I need service to the Lord more than He needs our service. Because last time I checked, He can say it and it happens. Right? That's why we need to serve Him. We need to keep oil in our own lamps. And it, lastly, it means we're seeking Him. We're seeking Him. It reminds me of the commercial where the guy's reading the newspaper. And his wife comes in and she says, Honey, does this dress make me look fat? And he says, You betcha. He's not listening to her. Right? We got a lot of people sitting in the church saying amen, but not doing anything. Not doing anything. You cannot burn the lamp on someone else's oil. You cannot prepare after the fact, and you must be watching for the return of the Lord. This is what Jesus is telling them about the second coming. He's telling them, listen. And they're not going to get it because. <coughs> They've already been arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus already had to tell them. And they've already been having all these things that we do, and we look at them and say, I would never do that. I would be Jesus. And we would be doing the exact same thing they're doing. And Jesus is telling them, listen, you don't need to know when the world's going to end. You need to know that you got oil in your lamp. You don't need to know all these signs. You just need to keep seeking the Savior. 
Day after day, set your affection on things above, not on the things on this earth. You just got to keep serving Him. Just keep serving Jesus. Well, preacher, but someone said this, and you know, it just drives me crazy. Well, you know what? I'm sure I've said stupid things. I'm sure you've said stupid things. Let's forget it. Let's serve Jesus. Let's be watching. Some years ago, I remember this. Was it 88 reasons why Christ will return in 88, 1988? How many of y'all remember that? That was a legit book that was written. It wasn't a legit book. I mean, a guy wrote a book. It wasn't legit. But... And there were people who were going on rooftops and up on the mountains looking for the return of Christ. And we talk about them as being, man, those guys are cuckoo. And they were. I mean, we, I was talking to a fella the other day, and he was talking about, remember, y'all remember the Haley's Comet and the Haley's Comet bop group that they were weirdos and they all dressed the same way and they were going to take cyanide pill and they all killed themselves as the Haley's Comet was going to go by. They were going to jump on the tail of the comet, and it was going to take them to heaven. Y'all remember that stuff? People believe that stuff. That's true. You can go Google it and look it up, and you can read the whole story about them. And there were people in South Point, Ohio, saying, well, you know, they might be true. Are you kidding me? That's my hometown, South Point. And I tell you this, guys. I mean this with all my heart. Jesus Christ is coming again because he said so. And he's coming whether you and I are ready or not. And over and over and over and over and over, Jesus uses parable after parable after parable to teach them and us to not focus on those superficial things, but to focus on Christ. And it doesn't matter when he comes back, you'll be ready. You'll be ready. And that is the point of this passage. Jesus looks at the disciples and the Jews and he says, You can't run. You can't burn on someone else's oil. You're responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we bow before you.